Welcome to this gambling harm prevention episode of the Leaders Performance Podcast, which is brought to you today by our friends at Epic Risk Management. My name's John Porch, and I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and for this very special episode, I am joined here in the Leaders Studio by Ben McGregor, Epic's Director of Sports Partnerships, and dialing in from the East Coast of America is Mike Huber, who works as an advisor with Epic. Some of you may recall Epic Risk Management from their performance in practice session at March's Leaders Meet Building Winning Organizations, which took place at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Epic delivered the session alongside Leaders Performance Advisor Meg Popovich. That session was very well received, and off the back of that, I'm now speaking to Mike and Ben. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How's it going? Go on, Mike, you go first. <laughs> going great, John. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. Now, our listeners won't necessarily be aware of all the technical issues we've had today, but we're here. We've overcome them. It's all good. And today's topic is, of course, gambling harm prevention and specifically how epic risk management can plug into performance environments to support teams, athletes and staff in taking the problem out of gambling. I want to dive right in, but first, it would be great if you could introduce yourselves, what you do and where your work takes you. Mike, perhaps you'd like to go first. Sure. Thanks, John. I'm, uh, I work for Epic Risk Management, as you mentioned. I, I'm a lived experience facilitator. That means that I deliver gambling harm prevention programming, mostly in the U.S., to student-athletes in different populations based on my experiences having been a problem gambler, and I've been in recovery for over 10 years. Uh, I'm also a certified mental performance consultant in the sports psychology space, so trying to bring those two worlds together on this podcast today. Hopefully, I'll, I'll do it some justice. I'm certainly sure you will, Mike. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. And Ben, what about yourself? Well, as you say, I'm Ben McGregor, Director of Sports Partnerships at Epic Risk Management. I'm actually coming up to my end of my first year with Epic, but I've had the privilege of working with Epic for a number of years in my former role, I worked for 11 and a half years at the Rugby Players Association, and we actually asked Epic to come in to help the players that we were working with in raising the awareness of problem gambling, gambling harm, and prevention, uh, treatment of, and really trying to get into the understanding of what is the issue and how we can help not just the players, but also us as staff, and also help those families around those players. So it's a real privilege to be on the journey with Epic now, working with the likes of, of Mike and our growing team of lived experience facilitators. So um, it's an exciting journey. Absolutely. And of course, you guys were in Toronto at the Scotiabank Arena for our performance in practice event. And you did a half day session at the Leaders Meet Building Winning Organizations Summit. And how was that experience for you? Perhaps you'd both like to share some of the details of the day. Mike, I'm going to let you go first. You led, led the session directly, so uh, all yours. Thanks, Ben. I, I think my overall impression was just I was, I was really impressed by the environment, the engagement by the professionals in the room, the sort of the energy around wanting to get better you know, at their, their jobs and their respective roles, whether it was within a sports organization or otherwise. It was really humbling to be a part of that just in general. In terms of delivering to, to the people in the room, you know, that was also a little bit intimidating, quite frankly, because it was such a high level group of people. But it was really a very fulfilling professional experience to be able to talk about my own lived experience and kind of relate that to others who are trying to be better at their job and improve their organizations and improve their people. So I, I just, I got a ton out of it and I, uh, I was happy to have stayed on past the time we presented and, and learned something new being a part of the room. So that was just, it was a great experience overall. 
I completely agree with that. Leaders has always been synonymous with with pushing the envelope and raising standards in best practice. So it was a huge privilege to be part of that and see both Mike and Meg delivering a session in such an impactful way. And I think certainly from the experience of, of working in sport over so many years from a, a professional standpoint, it's it's really important to keep pushing the envelope, keep moving forward in how you are evolving, what you are trying to do to support your the, your teams, your people in your teams and your staff. And so I think you know the issue of gambling harm and gambling harm prevention is only going to get more and more important. So to have the opportunity to share our insights as an organization to benefit those in the room and through this, others throughout sport is vital. Fantastic. And how did it help you both further your understanding of the North American environment, say, versus the European environment when it comes to gambling harm prevention? Because my really my perspective is, is largely in the North American space, because that's where I spend all my time. I think for me, it was interesting. I, I, I think there's a very limited awareness about the potential dangers of gambling, and particularly in the performance space, because, you know, so much of what performance-focused people are doing is working on moving toward this goal of being the best, right? And it's not always sexy or desirable to think about how to mitigate potential challenges in advance, but I think there was a real genuine curiosity about it. I'll give credit to Megan, this you know, who is delivering sort of the part of the workshop in terms of the, the the interactive experiences. People started to be able to put themselves into the shoes of somebody who might have a problem, and I think that that was welcomed by the people in the audience with that curiosity of like, what is this? What do I do if it comes to to my doorstep? But I do think, in terms of the maturity of it in the U.S. market or the domestic market in North America, I think there's a lot of awareness building to be done. I completely agree with that. I think, you know, the, the privilege that we've had of working across so many different high performance environments and different sports, there's a real recognition of the different resources available. So not everybody is starting from the same place. Overwhelmingly, there's a want to support their people in the best way. But I think at, at the core of it, and certainly being a staff member myself prior to joining Epic, you're always navigating a sense of your own confidence in how you can lead others uh, in a safe way. And so I think for me, it was a confirmation of the understanding that people are starting from different places. There's also the appreciation of the journey that we're all on in in navigating mental health awareness in general and the context of that and where gambling fits. So the conversations around uh, drug addiction, drug issues or alcohol issues, let's say, were more quickly maybe picked up. And I think, as Mike's alluded to, the journey we're now on in working with sports to understand the issue of, of gambling and, and gambling harm is, is crucially important so it can be put on the same, same level of awareness as those other crucially important um, issues. Sticking with Toronto, and it may be worth going to you first, Mike, on this, given that you were leading the presentation on the day. What elements of your presentation do you feel enabled it to land with an audience who perhaps hadn't fully appreciated gambling harm or gambling addiction in sport and perhaps were not used to what Ben was saying there, discussing gambling harm in the same sort of terminology as you might drug addiction or alcohol abuse. For those who are listening, the way that the the presentation was structured was myself speaking about my own experience and trying to relate that to what somebody in a professional sports organization might go through, right, as a performer. And I think ultimately what typically lands, regardless of audience, and I think was the same in this case, is the vulnerability around it. 
you know, sort of just talking about how the behavior can be all encompassing, how it could really change someone's mental health, moral compass. And a lot of times it's not as obvious as a drug addiction or alcohol addiction because there's really not any outward sign. I think that that takeaway was, I think, valuable and really important for the people in the audience to start to like wrap their head around. And then Meg's piece, which was sort of the workshop or the case study, really the, and I think this was the most valuable piece in all of it, was really engaging the the participants in taking an empathetic role and seeing things from different perspectives, right? Starting to understand, at least in a, in a role-playing way, what it might look like from the inside so that they could start to then kind of, you know, put themselves in someone else's shoes who maybe someone who's going through this. Because I think that's the biggest challenge for anybody who's dealing with somebody who has a gambling problem is really hard to understand if you've never been in, engaged in it. Because most people will take a sip of alcohol. Most people will do things that, you know, we do recreationally, whatever, and it's normal. A lot of people aren't understanding of what that gambling behavior is. And I think we started to like put them into those shoes, which is really the first step in being able to help somebody. Anything you would add, Ben? Yeah, I think it comes down to the sense of how an individual can relate to the issue. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, as part of the awareness sessions that we deliver, uh, and certainly the session that uh, Mike and, um, and Meg delivered in Toronto included the gambling harm spectrum. And I think one of the most important things that we do is to allow individuals in the room. doesn't matter their role. It really doesn't. It allows an individual to reflect on their relationship with gambling. And what do I mean by that? Well, first and foremost, you know, the reason why I know Epic for a number of years is because we actually brought Epic in to help us out in supporting players who we thought would potentially be struggling with gambling, but we didn't know what to do with it. I, from my standpoint, haven't got a lived experience of gambling harm. So it was difficult for me to directly lean in with a sense of um, understanding and, and empathy. So I needed the expertise of somebody that does in the same way that, you know, sports all over the world and, and whether it's player care practitioners, whether it's people development, whether it's well, well-being specialists, you're always trying to seek that credibility of an expert to provide that point of difference in your support and, and how you perform. And I think for me, the, the gambling harm spectrum really allows everybody to understand what their relationship is with gambling at that point. And it also allows you to work with somebody in them recognizing their journey as well, um, which then breeds a fantastic opportunity to lean further in and understand what actions can then be done off the back of understanding to take positive action and, and, and be proactive. And I think, you know, oft, often, certainly from personal experience, having been with the RPA, you know, there's a very proactive approach taken in support of the person behind the player. But you have limited resources, you can't do everything. And often, you know, the, the nature of the beast is you have to react sometimes to, to, to the highest priority. And I think what we're trying to do is recognize those in, that need support right now so they can get to the right specialist treatment. But on the flip side, give organizations, leaders, give performance environments the chance to be able to get in there before that harm happens and is and, and has such dire consequences. So I think it's very much around recognizing that every individual has a relationship with gambling. Gambling harm doesn't discriminate. And once there's an understanding as to where you sit, irrespective of your role, it then gives an opportunity for you to lean in further to, to take positive action and be proactive in addressing the issue of gambling harm, hopefully before it happens, or if it's already in play, what's the best form of action that you can take? 
So when you guys work with a team or an organization, what is the first step then on the road to education and awareness? You mentioned the gambling harm spectrum there. Perhaps you could say a little bit more about that in answering my question there. I think first and foremost, we're there to support the organization that we're working with. I come back to the point that everybody's starting from different places. The resources available, the, the key priority themes, the makeup and of the culture of each environment. And I think also, you know, different sports have different infrastructures that mean that, for example, you could have mandatory education that's required to be delivered across all environments to all people. There's also the more club specific topics that they want to lead with, that they want their people to represent, that, you know, that they want people to be known for these certain things, or they know that they need to sort of pick up certain skill sets. And then there's the unique points of difference. And I think the key part for us right from the outset is to understand what is the priority for the organization and what's their starting point. And a big part of that often is a lack of awareness of the issue. That's certainly from personal experience. That's that's where we started. We There was a sense in one club that we might have to support individuals with this issue. But the wonderful thing that we do with Epic is, as part of every single session, is to, to get feedback, obviously anonymous. And it's confidential to the partners that we work with, but it helps inform their strategy in terms of what next steps looks like. So the first part is understanding from the client, their understanding where things are at. Then it's working on getting further understanding as part of working with them through the research that we do. That then helps inform where the priorities need to be, how severe the potential issue is, as well as the heightened awareness as a consequence of the actual awareness sessions that we're delivering. So we need to see whether or not we're having an impact. So it starts with understanding you know, the, our client, our partner's needs, the circumstances they're in, what the priorities, and then really trying to up their awareness across all of that. And I think what's unique about Epic, and certainly one of the things that really has opened my eyes in being here for not, not just a year, to 11 months, is just the sheer expertise across the gambling industry. We've got a safer gambling pillar that works with gambling operators. We've got a social impact um, a pillar that works with communities, that goes out into schools, that works with charities. And I think it's really trying to understand our sports partners where their priorities are, what's their starting point, and then bringing absolutely everything we've got to the fore, which often starts with lived experience awareness sessions, which is where Mike comes in. Just to piggyback off what Ben was saying, you know, the vast majority of my work in, in North America is with colleges and universities. And really with them, the foundation of what we do there is building an awareness through lived experience programming and really helping them understand that one the harm of the behavior if it starts at that age with you know student athletes in the 18 to 22 year old range are at greater risk there's evidence to support that and then b what it could look like if they were to get into the behavior what are the signs and symptoms and how do you address it and all those things right so it's really starting to build that awareness before it becomes an issue and i think to ben's point it's not always a priority for every organization right some see it they preview it some have experienced it already and they're really vigilant about addressing it and some just don't see it as an issue yet right and and that's unfortunate but not everyone's going to have the same priorities right so it's the same idea is trying to meet them where they're at and give them what they need based upon you know sort of their priorities in the moment and what are some of the key considerations then when reducing gambling related harms in the early stages whether that be through identification of at-risk gamblers or perhaps just general conversations from my standpoint, I think it always starts with the most vulnerable in the room. 
and any one person, doesn't matter if it's staff and leader or whether it's the, the youngest person in the room, can be that vulnerable person. I think the harsh reality is we often just don't know. So how do you promote an environment, as we talked about in Toronto, that, that really encompasses an acceptance of, of people and that safe environment to allow people to step forward? And I think what's inter- interesting about gambling harm is it's right at the centre of, of mental health awareness work. But it's also at the centre of integrity in sport. There's also it's also at the centre of commercialisation of professional sport, of uh, engagement with the community. So I think for me, it's it's it comes back to again that sense of what is the priority for the organisation, and it starts with vulnerable people, and that's where the courage of the lived experience facilitators like Mike is is so instrumental in enabling individuals in the sessions to one understand the issue in detail but then also feel empowered that they can speak up. And we recognize as an organization coming in to support sporting organizations that we're not there 24-7. But we recognize the, the sheer responsibility that that takes for those in those roles, so player care, player development, well-being. And so the biggest thing that we can do is, is alongside raising the awareness, is make sure that we're always available to support not just the staff in supporting their players, but the players as well should they need it but recognizing our limitations. And I think that's a really important part of, of what we try and do in working with our, our partners is when it comes to resourcing, what kind of protocols do they have in place? What kind of resources do they have at, th- at their disposal when it comes to specialist treatment providers? We know we are not that, but we help enable individuals to be able to move from an understanding to help which is often, as Mike can attest to, one of the hardest things to do when it comes to, to gambling harm or, or mental health in general, right? So I think for, for us, it comes down to recognizing before we go into the room where there might be vulnerabilities and sensitivities because you know we take confidentiality and safeguarding extremely seriously in support of the environments that we're going into with guests and we've got people to look after. So it's about understanding that vulnerability from the perspective of those people that are in those environments all the time and, and working with them on how to address that. But it's also, we're looking to promote positive action in really challenging circumstances. So we want to make sure that that pathway to support is extremely clear and enabled. Some organizations don't have that, so we can support them and recognizing how they can potentially put that in place. And certainly what we found is the journey that we've gone on with organizations is we've been able to refine, modify the protocols and processes that's not just benefited gambling harm related issues, but actually the wider mental health side as well. So I think it's very much around starting with vulnerability and support is where I'd potentially sort of start off with. Mike, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. I would just take it back to, to what we talked about in Toronto a lot, which was the concept of psychological safety, right? And so from my own personal experiences as being somebody who was sort of steeped in the addiction. You know, I think one of the things that I didn't really feel I had around me was the the ability to come forward and express that I had a problem that I was dealing with because I felt like I was going to be judged or misunderstood. And I think, you know, that looking through that lens of creating a culture of psychological safety within, you know, a professional sports organization while challenging because of all the competing objectives in terms of, you know, winning and making money and all the things that come with running a, any business is the idea that we've created a psychologically safe environment for somebody to come forward and express that they have an issue that they need to address 
and not stigmatize that and to get them the help to your point, Ben, that they need and point them in the right direction so they can continue to be a valuable part of that organization and be a good performer rather than letting them burn out before they get any help. And then, you know, you kick them out the door and, and send them on their way. Right. So creating that psychologically safe environment, I think, is critical. And, and I think to follow on to that, that applies to staff just as it must to, to, to players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Certainly from personal experience, the weight of responsibility that individuals in player care roles, personal development, well-being roles shoulder on behalf of the people who play is huge. And they will go to the ends of the earth to try and sort of make sure that they're doing all they possibly can to support the people that are in their care. And I think a big part of the work that we do is to support those staff members in, in recognizing the issue so they can do all they can when it comes to the issue of gambling harm, but also recognizing what they can't do. So we do training on that from a lived experience point of view to help enable boundaries and roles to be clearer, to help teamwork. And again, it comes down to sort of processes and protocols. So, so we work on, a, on a, almost like a cyclical basis with, with staff in identifying how we can help them do their job better and how they can feel more comfortable and more confident in dealing with the issue of gambling harm specifically. Um, so I think that, that psychological safety and certainly the responsibility we feel is absolutely point at the staff uh, just as much um, as, as athletes. But I think what's interesting is that that remit when it comes to staff is growing. Um, and I talked earlier around the opportunity that sports organisations have got to engage with, with society, um, with their community. And we're increasingly seeing the broader brief, let's say, of sporting organisations, because normally it's kind of players and maybe you know, performance staff. But there's such a vast, a very talented group of people that are, are doing a, a hell of a lot behind the scenes to enable all this to happen. And I think what we're seeing more and more, we're working with organisations, is that they need to support as well in recognising what they can do to help themselves out, help each other out, but also what they can do to improve how they're approaching gambling in general in their roles and and supporting those that they can influence when it comes to the community or when it comes to society in general. So that staff remit is growing more and more, and that psychological safety applies to everyone. It's interesting to hear you describe that. And of course, the ideal scenario is an environment where these issues are discussed and everyone in that environment feels supported. Now, how simple can those interactions be? Could it be just a masseuse having a conversation with an athlete on the masseuse's table? Is it just checking in and saying, how are you doing? How's it going? What does it require? Yeah, I think, I mean... It can take various different, I suppose, guises, if you like. Uh, I, I think for me, it, it, you know, coming back to, to Mike's point earlier, if you think about the most vulnerable in the person in the room and you think about the, 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 how hard it is to come forward to talk about the issue of, of gambling harm, not really understanding exactly what's going on, um, I think any opportunity that you can have to recognize the chance to be able to allow somebody to step forward, be it the masseuse, be it a, a, an informal chat, that's going to give somebody potentially the point of difference on their journey of, of recovery or, or seeking help. So actually, you know, the interaction could be on, on, on some guys, it could be very, very small, but actually is huge for the person who needs the help. I think the hard part is knowing what to look for. 
is knowing you know what to listen and i think that ties in with the broader journey that we're all on around recognizing mental health awareness and how important that is the various different guises of that but when it comes to gambling harm it's it's crucially important that we're able to support those that we're we're working with to recognize where that very very small opportunity to allow somebody to step forward is given the space it needs to give that safe opportunity for somebody to get the support that they need so for me, it's it's very much along the lines of no engagement is too small when it comes to trying to do something positive in support of other people when it comes to gambling harm. Yeah, I, I think something that I was I wrote down while Ben was talking because this came up a lot in Toronto, and it relates to psychological safety, but it's kind of framed a different way, which is the idea of support versus challenge, right? And what Ben I think was describing is this idea that those small interactions where we're expressing interest and care for those people starts to build this framework of support where that when the time comes, if it comes where there's a problem that we need to deal with within the organization with that person, we can then take that challenge to them and have them feel like it's not a threat because they understand that I care about them first and foremost as a person. So those little interactions are critical to make sure that the athlete feels supported to come forward. And to your point, John, or your question about having a physio or a, or somebody on the staff, I mean, it's everybody's job, right, to, to show and demonstrate that care for the player so that they feel like everyone's got their back. So if the time comes that they need to deal with something, we need to deal with a problem, we all feel comfortable doing it because we know that it's a coming from a place of support and care, not from a place of criticism and judgment and you know finger pointing and blame. Because I can tell you from first ex- firsthand experience, when I had that happen to me in my gambling addiction, where people came at me and sort of questioned my behavior or questioned whether or not I had a problem or they challenged me and I felt like I wasn't supported, I ran the other way. Right. And so I think that's really important for people to understand when you're dealing with somebody with a, with any addiction, but a gambling addiction specifically, if th- that person feels like they're being blamed or judged or criticized unduly, they're going to turn and run the other way. And I think for me that the care part is, is key because I think in enabling somebody to step forward, doesn't matter how small the interaction might be considered to be, it's then what happens next. And I think to, to Mike's point, it's everybody's responsibility, but it's also having the clarity of understanding where your responsibility stops and you need to engage with the next person in that continuity of care approach. So for example, if it's the physio, there's a lot of responsibility when somebody discloses a higher welfare issue, there's a hell of a lot of responsibility you feel. And then there's a sense of what do I do next and and how do I go about this in the right way? knowing my limitations. So, you know, part of the continuity of care approach when it comes to protocols and processes, the huge number of the organizations we work with have got phenomenal approaches for this. They are really dedicated and really proactive when it comes to join things up. We're just giving them a gambling harm lens through which to help enable they can they can do more on the journey that they're already on. Whereas, you know, coming back to the point that we said right from the outset, everybody's starting from a different place. So some organizations are really just on the journey of trying to put together protocols and processes and policies. And so it's trying to give them that understanding that it's not just about the stepping forward of an individual on enabling that to happen. It's then where do we go to next on that journey with that individual? And I'll give you an example. So when I was working in rugby a number of years ago, we actually found out about one of the players that was struggling with gambling harm because of a proactive betting shop manager in the local community walked into the club and said i 
think one of your players is is struggling with with gambling harm, and I just think you should know about that. And for me, that will have you know the decisions that that individual will have had to go through to figure that out and 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 know how to go about that. On on one level, you're thinking, well, that's that's brilliant. But on the flip side, it's it's not a default setting for everybody. And I think that kind of leaning in to try and identify how you can support an individual when it comes to sporting organisations who are so close. There's a competitive nature to it. Um, it's really important. Uh, it's, it's being done very successfully in a number of different places. But I think that, again, it comes down to sort of how we're continually evolving, how we're supporting our people. And I think that continuity of care is at the heart of it. How do you join up your understanding of an individual to arrive at a point where you can be best support for them? I wonder, are sports people and people working in sports and high-performance environments more susceptible to gambling harm than the wider population. I imagine if you were discussing mental health issues in the wider population, there'd probably be similar numbers and statistics in the general population versus the sporting population, shall we say. But how does that translate when it comes to gambling harm? Mike, I'm going to let you take that one if you want to. Yeah, sure. So so we, we talk about this a lot in our in our programming in the US, which is to say you know, student athletes, for instance, in the United States are, are four times more likely than the average college student to have a gambling problem, right? Statistically, that's something that we feel comfortable in saying based upon our research. Take it a step further. And then we ask the question in our sessions, why do you think that is? And the reasons that come up that we talk about from a lived experience perspective, from a research basis, you know, the competitive, the personality traits of an athlete, the competitiveness, the ego. Sometimes it's it's injuries where they have downtime, they need to fill time, right? So there, there are certain things about athletes that make them more susceptible to want to gamble, particularly on sports, because of the nature of who they are and, and their knowledge and their uh, motivations and, and et cetera, et cetera, financial reasons, all those things, right? So I think bringing, you know, shedding light on why an athlete is more vulnerable is really important. And I think we've seen some really interesting cases, right, in real life, both in England and in the United States, with professional athletes who have engaged in gambling behaviors, had a, you know, seemingly problematic relationship with gambling, knowing, you know, the consequences of that, you know, when they get into it, right? So that that tells us that, you know, there's a level of, call it ego, call it, you know, sort of delusion, whatever you want to call it, right? They know the consequences of gambling are negative in a lot of ways that affect their careers and and the clubs and the money and all those things, and yet they still do it, right? Why is that? So so that's something we try to point out to the people that we speak to in the US, certainly, to let them know, hey, just because you can't do it doesn't mean you won't do it and you might convince yourself otherwise. So they, they are athletes are Frankly, we believe much more vulnerable in that way. Prevention is always better than cure in any walk of life, in in any field of medicine or anything relating to health. Now, of course, you'd see that as the ideal scenario, but there are going to be times when intervention is necessary. Now, when that is the case, what are some of the crucial considerations when trying to minimize the impact of gambling-related harms? It's a tough one for me, and I'm going to speak to it from a lived experience perspective, because I think what I've learned through my own personal experience is that the individual, ultimately, all the people around the individual have responsibility to support the individual. But my personal belief, right, this is a personal opinion based on my own experience, is that it's ultimately individual's decision to make a change and to put forth the effort 
to get the help that they need. And I think help can come in a lot of different forms, right? People find recovery in different ways. My journey of recovery is different than somebody else's in terms of how they do that, right? So there are a lot of different resources. So I think from my perspective is to say, our job is to let those people know, whether it's the supporting people or the individuals themselves, these are all the places where you could go to get help. Right now, if I'm in a sporting club, the sporting club may have a very direct referral and say, hey, you know, athlete, we're going to send you to this place because we think they can help you. And we have a vested interest in that because we care about you, but also because there's a financial, you know, uh, tie to that, right? We want to send you to this person because they're really, really good. But I think in general, the message I would give, especially in, at, at NCAA colleges in the U.S., is there are a lot of different ways to get help. My way of getting help is one way, but there are all these other resources and here they are. So that when you're ready to come forward and make a change, this is where you go. And I think to add to that, from a practitioner and a staff point of view, is having access to that information now. Yep. Because the, from personal experience as well, having been placed in the situation of somebody presenting their struggles with, with gambling harm, it can be a very isolating place as a staff member, knowing you've got a responsibility to do the right thing for that individual. But then knowing as a staff member, you're plugged into a broader network that's also looking out for that individual, that specialist at hand is essential for your own well-being as a practitioner, but also fundamentally important to that individual that's struggling. So I think for, for me, you know, everything that Mike said there is, is bang on and everybody is different. So I think it, it's not about one size fits all. It's about coming back to, again, what resources is already available? Where are the points of difference? What else can we add to the mix in terms of understanding the options out there? And and I think the other big part is recognizing this is the journey that you're going to go on with this individual. And so to try and shortcut to solution is often arguably the wrong way to go. You, you, as Mike's alluded to, anybody, you know, it doesn't discriminate gambling harm. So anybody could be in a position and wrangling with this and that disorientated decision-making, but there's still decision-making abilities in anybody who's struggling with, with mental health illness. It's just knowing that they're supported in navigating that journey and they've got access to good information to help them keep moving. But that comes down to having specialist support. And as Mike's alluded to, that can come in various different guises. So um, again, we've got a huge wealth of experience in knowing what good looks like, but it, it's very much understanding the individual. Can I add to that? Because I, I think you hit on something really important there. You know, I think the behavior, gam let's stick to gambling, but any behavior where something is problematic, it makes others around that person really uncomfortable a lot of times. And to Ben's point, I think there is this natural tendency to want to fix something as quickly as possible, right? Because it makes me uncomfortable because I see the potential consequences and the faster we could fix it, the better off we're going to be. That's natural instinct. But I think as it relates to people who are on a journey to recovery or have a problem, it's not that simple, right? You can't just fix it. And so I think for us as, as educators to, to staff and organizations and, you know, teams and, and, and colleges, it's important for them to understand that sometimes you're not going to be able to fix that problem right away, that you have to stay on the journey with that person so that when they're ready to address it or change at their pace and their time, you're there to support them. That's very difficult, right? Because there's so many different implications to the, the behavior 
from an economic perspective, from a performance and winning and losing perspective and all those things, you want to fix them. But it's hard to fix a person in the, the way that you want to fix them in a short amount of time without actually sort of seeing them through the process. And that's a, that's a really significant challenge that any organization is going to face. I think the other thing to bear in mind, because I'm mindful as well, we're, we're coming from maybe a performance sport athlete, staff member uh, point of view, and the relationships they've got, you know, living day to day, you know, in their space all the time. This, it's very different from maybe um, other business operations within a sporting organization. And I think it comes down to recognizing what vulnerability looks like. It comes down to recognizing where support is and having access to that swiftly. But how you can lean into the issue will also dictate your comfort with that, you know, because it's difficult, as Mike's alluded to, to be confronted by the issue. But then also understanding what your role isn't. Uh, so long as there is an understanding that there is responsibility to the organization for addressing the care of the individual and there is an understanding of what continuity of care process looks like. It could be there's no example where a commercial employee at a football club took a call from a fan and the fan was calling this person to say, I'm really sorry that I placed a bet and I lost it. And it, we don't need to go into any more details, but the fact remains you've got an individual there who's just at the start of their business journey being confronted by an individual who's obviously struggling with the gambling relationship. What happens then? We obviously can help with that, but to be able to forearm individuals right across the organization in understanding what does vulnerability and support look like will help enable everybody to feel that sense of support and, and psychological safety. So given everything that we've discussed today, what gives you cause for optimism? What makes you optimistic about the future? Because it feels as if gambling and betting in particular is just so ubiquitous at the moment. I'm, I'm pretty sure that between now and the time I go to sleep this evening, I will probably see about five to 10 gambling ads at the very least, usually in relation to sport. It feels like it's everywhere at the moment. And I'm, I'm sure you gents have a similar impression perhaps, but I'm certainly speaking from a UK context here in London. But what gives you cause for optimism in terms of the work you're doing with teams, organizations, and athletes? Well, from my standpoint, overwhelmingly, the experience I've had working in, in elite sport is, is the want to back their people full stop. The performance element for me absolutely comes into play. It has to. But I think the experiences that I've had is that people are always trying to do more in support of their people. I think when it comes to gambling harm and understanding what they can do, the biggest challenge is around, around allowing people the awareness and the information to help them take positive action, be proactive. So for, for me, my optimism stems from the people behind and within sport and knowing that they want to make a positive impact. And the challenge for us collectively is making sure as many people know about where harm starts kicking in in gambling behaviours and how you can take a positive and, and proactive action to, to address that, not just for the individual, not just for the team environment, but also the community that you've got an influence over. And also from a sporting standpoint, we've got a unique position to have a very, very positive influence on society as well. And so for me, the optimism stems from the people that we are engaging with on a regular basis. And that starts with the likes of our lived experience facilitators who day in, day out, share their vulnerabilities in such a courageous way to help other people avoid where they got to um, and make better informed decisions around how to stay safe? I'll speak from my, my own experience. I think the thing that gives me optimism 
simply put, is the curiosity of others, right? So the people who are just like you, John, who are exposed now in the United States, in North America, to these to gambling as a behavior, to the advertisements, the the acceptance of this as something that's legal and available. I think the people who are now getting, you know, they're 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 they're, they're digesting and seeing this are starting to ask questions like, I don't get it. I want to understand it. I want to help, right? I, I want to be somebody who can support somebody else because I see how prevalent it is now. So I think it's just that natural curiosity from people like, I don't get it, but I want to get it. And I think that is really the the heart of it, right? Like the behavior is going to happen, right? It's been legislated. It's regulated. It's out there. We're not going to change it. But from the micro level, people are really curious about it and saying, hey, like, what's this look like? What can we do to help? And I think that sort of echoes what Ben said. Yeah, and I think ultimately culture change takes a time, doesn't it? But we've yeah. got to be relentless in our pursuit of of trying to make a difference. And I think for me, people are not on their own in navigating what positive, proactive uh, action can look like. There's fantastic examples out there that we're trying to bring together through the networks that we have to enable other people to, to learn from one another. That's where the Pro Sport Advisory Board comes in sharing best practice, sharing learnings, working together on problems from different perspectives. And I think for me, it's, it's the understanding that if we, are, if we are joining up on our perspectives and we've got a chance to be able to learn from one another when it comes to how to make the best use of our resources, then we're always going to have a, a, a chance to be able to offset the gambling harm side of, of what we're confronting on a daily basis. You know, the optimism also stems from the fact that the more and more we, we speak to, to, to different people, the more the awareness isn't where we know it could be. And so we've got a wonderful chance of being able to arm people with the information that we have so they can make informed and decisions to do more to address this issue. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's, we are absolutely optimistic that we've got a fantastic opportunity to, to shift the dial on this in the same way that we've seen the mental health awareness sort of raise you know the dial has shifted significantly. There's still more to be work to be done there, but we're we're on the same same journey to an extent in in really trying to get this awareness at the forefront of people's minds. And it's not an unrelated question, but it is my final question: What does the next twelve months hold for Epic Risk Management? <laughs> a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think from a strategic standpoint, uh, we are working with some unbelievable organisations trying to do really life-changing things so our focus is really doing all we can to support them on that journey uh, we have got a remarkable team mike being absolute key part of that that are also on a significant journey and uh, that need support on this journey and that team is growing so i think it's very much around prioritizing our people and our partners and how we can make the best difference um, in support of them addressing the issue of gambling harm yeah, I think for me, the next 12 months is about building awareness, you know, building awareness of, of what Epic does and can do to support our partners, you know, and I think it, it extends well beyond lived experience programming. It's, you know, consultation and, and helping these organization, organizations understand, you know, what they need and their priorities and meeting them where they're at so that we can be the best partner we can be, because I think you know, as this gambling marketplace evolves and changes and matures, more problems are going to arise. And I think, you know, letting people know where they can get help to deal with it is our mission in the next 12 months. Gentlemen, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, John.